You please join me in prayer. Father, what a beautiful and privileged declaration that is ours, that you love us. The furious, unrelenting, unreasonable love. Father God, teach us what it means to live loved. To live as though we have nothing left to prove. To live as though we have already received all that is the size and the scope and the immensity of your love. Father, what a gift to be called your children. May we look like you. And as we open your word together, will you continue to refine that process within us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This past Sunday night at our house, we were eating leftovers. Whatever was left in the house, it's time to go on Sunday night. We don't feel like spending a whole lot of time cooking, so sandwiches, some leftover pizza, it all comes out on the table. Now, my eight-year-old son is a particular fan of sandwiches, but he's very particular about his sandwiches, and they need to be constructed in just the right way. For example, meat needs to be placed on the sandwich before the cheese. He was upset that his sandwich was not constructed in the appropriate manner and got very upset and my wife at this moment in time. Without wanting to cause a scene, she goes along with the ride, gives him what he wants, but this time he has realized that there is butter on this sandwich and he does not like butter on his sandwiches and now we've escalated this whole thing to an entirely new level. Emotions start coming in, tears are coming over butter, meat and cheese. It escalates to the point where he needs to be removed from the situation and is in his room. I can hear the volume of emotion coming out of him. Something deep inside of his soul has been violated in this sandwich exchange. And by the time I get into his room, he is curled up by the wall and the floor. And what you can hear is, (laughs) You don't love me! It felt just a little bit disproportionate. (laughs) You don't love me. Dude, it was meat and cheese, man. (laughs) Come on. Eventually, this all ended. And he did eventually, just in time for maybe a book before bedtime, come down from his tree that he had climbed. In the meantime, what he missed out on was a great family dinner. He missed out on a lot of time back and forth, and I think some of his siblings even got to experience media time, which was the ultimate in our home, and he missed out on all of this. Self-absorbed and consumed in his own little world of not getting exactly what he wanted, how he wanted it, he was missing out. And the best things of our day were passing him by. What a tragedy. And then I realized as I fell asleep that night, processing this whole moment with the Lord, that how often in my own life do I look like that? That I am my own little Judah. I have these moments too, where I'm so self-absorbed with whatever little problem is going on in my world, that in perspective, in the scheme of things, 
probably doesn't look a whole lot different than a little kid banging their head against the wall. And somehow in the middle of that, I always assume that because there's some trouble in my life that God must not be loving me quite as much. Do you not see me? Can you not see that this is a problem? Sovereignty. If you saw everything, you'd see how big of a deal this is, and I've already explained to you the situation you need to create in order to make it happen, and I'm not that different. But this isn't new to the human condition. We've been doing this for a very long time. Reading the prophet Jonah this week, he's kind of the pouting prophet, isn't he? As the story ends and he's so angry I could die, he says, missing out on what's all taking place around him. And I want to unpack a little bit of that with you this morning this, as we move forward in this series that the prophets still speak. What is it that we're supposed to get out of this book of Jonah? Because it's a weird book and it's not like the other prophets. Not only is it simply an oracle against another nation or for another nation, but the prophecy part of it is so small and the book is not really about the content of the prophecy that Jonah delivers, but it's more about the content of his character and how it is being refined. From our earliest ages, we learn this story and the significance and the apex is what's taking place inside of the whale, but the story within the story is what's really taking place inside of Jonah. And how much is he not an example, a parable to describe Israel as a whole and me and my eight-year-old son? The book of Jonah is kind of more of a character story character sketch than it is a prophecy. In fact, nowhere in the book is Jonah even actually described as a prophet. And he's not a very good one. And most of the time, he's not even a very good person. I read a quote recently from one of the famous pastors and theologians of our time, Eugene Peterson, who said, one of my favorite things about the Bible is that there actually are no heroes in it. There's just a whole bunch of sinners, like me, and so I find my place there. It's a truer mirror than I want to admit. Every time we read a story or watch a movie, we want to associate ourselves with whoever's the hero, the underdog, the come-from-behind story, yet the reality is, more often than not, you and I are the broken ones. On to Jonah. What I want to do this morning is read for you the opening verses and the closing verses that bookend this book. And we'll talk a little bit about what takes place in between the bookends inside of Jonah and inside of us. From Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us 
so that we will not perish. So this is a map where Jonah is and where he's told to go and where he ends up going. Most commentators believe the reason why Jonah wanted to go to Tarshish is because it was the last known place on earth. It was as far as you could possibly go to get away from anything. Nobody had sailed the Atlantic yet. Columbus was several years away. And so this is believed to be the end of the world. And the end of the world in more than just the geographical sense. Tarshish was sort of like the Las Vegas of their day. I'm sure there was a billboard on the island of Malta along the way that said what happens in Tarshish stays in Tarshish. And the author is clear to tell us that he was fleeing from the Lord. And then there's Nineveh, this place that he's asked to go to. It's still a trek. It's a 550-mile journey. But he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go because the Israelites hate the Assyrians. They hate the Ninevites. They hate its king. The prophets, if nothing else, are all about the justice of God. God, if there was justice within you, you would smite these people. And now you want to be merciful to them? The attributes of God's mercy and his justice are doing conflict on the battlefield of Jonah's heart within this book. And he's having a hard time reconciling God's justice with his mercy. See, it's God's mercy within the story that is pursuing Jonah. The great hound of heaven will not leave him alone. He will cause calamity to call up to bring about the sea. He will raise up fish from the deep to swallow him. He will raise up plants. He will cause an east wind to blow. He will use all powers in creation, naturally and supernaturally, as the great hound of heaven to pursue Jonah. So as the recipient of God's mercy, Jonah never has a problem with it, and neither do we. But it's God's justice that we want for other people and never for ourselves. Jonah wants to pick and choose, and so do we. God, give that guy your justice. But I'll take your mercy, please. And this conflict is waging inside of Jonah as he's got to decide, and he's got to go to these people that he absolutely can't stand, that throughout history have committed atrocities against Israel and are about to do so again. The funny thing is, if you look at the place historically, our best guess is that where Nineveh actually was, archaeologically, today stands at the epicenter of a new Islamic caliphate, ISIS, ISIL. And I wonder inside of us if we would have the same torment going on inside. If some evangelist from our country was called to go there in the midst of all the hatred and anger and beheading and conflict between nations and religions that is all taking place here, if some evangelist from this country went, spoke an eight-word sermon in that setting, and the leader said, that's it, we're cut to the heart. Sorry about the beheadings and all that stuff. We're going to come before the Lord. There would be a part inside of us, too, that would say, no, 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 God, I don't want your mercy. I want your justice right now. Jonah's not a freak, and he's not an abnormality. He is us. And this story is closer to our own than we ever want to admit. And it's funny that everybody else around Jonah seems to respond to better God respond better to God than he does. The mariners, the sailors at the beginning of the story, they respond. But I love that line in verse 6. Maybe he will take notice of us 
They too have a paradigm that sees the world the exact same way that the American dream does. There's trouble going on? This must be what we need to eliminate in life. This must be in opposition to God's plan because if God loved us, I would not experience trouble. So whatever storm is taking place outside of the control of your God, they surely must not be associated together, right? We have separate gods for these things and maybe they're just clashing on the platform of our little boat right now. But we often assume the same thing. But here's the problem with that paradigm. God's greatest goal for your life is not that it would be easy. His goal for you is that you would be His. In this story, the storm is not the antithesis or the absence of God's love. It is the evidence of God's love. Maybe He will take notice of us. Oh, the irony. The storm exists because he is taking notice of you. It is a gift. It is an act of mercy. He is not trying to give you an easy life. He's trying to give you a life that is found in him. In this sense, the American dream and the prophetic imagination will always be diametrically opposed to one another, and you have to know this. Any goals or assumptions on our part that God is abandoning us whenever things become difficult are not of God, are not of gospel, are not the path of discipleship that Christ has called us to. A prophetic imagination understands and knows that in suffering and in all of these places, God's love is found and in the clarity of God's love is often found in ways that it can't when things go well. The storm is not the evidence that God is not with them. The storm is God's hand with them, redirecting them. The great hound of heaven will chase Jonah down and he will create a storm over the Mediterranean Sea if that's what it takes. He'll create a supernatural act with one of his creatures to come up and gobble him up and vomit him back out if that's what it takes. He'll cause plants to grow up in a day and then wither them down in order to teach him a lesson if that's what it takes. But Jonah is the recipient of God's mercy again and again and again and again and the great hound of heaven will not relent. It's this weird prophetic book. Jonah receives mercy and deliverance, but won't, doesn't want it for anybody else. See, our selfishness when we pursue these things causes us to miss out. If our own goals are ease and comfort, we will miss out on the best things that God is doing in this world. I am reminded time and time again, week in and week out, when I continue to call friends in the middle of the Ebola crisis in West Africa, and they continue to tell me the church is advancing like never before, and I hear this cheery voice on the other end of the line explaining to me that more people are coming to Christ in the midst of this. It's almost like this whole crucifixion, redemption, resurrection model is meant to be replayed over and over And over again that it gives life, not just in the person of Christ, but within us. And when he said that this pattern must be repeated within each one of us, that it still holds. God can use even the worst things of this world to bring about his kingdom. Nothing is beyond his sovereign grip. That's part of the story of Jonah. And the book closes. Jonah went out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, 
sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a gourd and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the gourd. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the gourd so, it had, so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the gourd? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. You don't love me. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this gourd, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Jonah's inability to submit himself to the mercy of God and want it for others, to not differentiate between being and wanting to choose between the attributes of God that are for you and for somebody else. Because he can't do this, consider where he ends up at the end of this story. Not only is he suicidal, he's missed out on the fact and the joy of being able to celebrate that he is the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. An eight-word sermon and 120,000 people, including one of the most powerful men in the world, break under its weight. And I question whether or not his heart was even in it when he gave the message, because it doesn't sound like it. That he didn't want the result that came. So what did that sermon sound like? I mean, did he practice these eight words beforehand? Did he have some great Shakespearean voice that he took on so it would be, you know, just incredible from the pulpit? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It seems like, reading between the lines in the story, that he probably showed up and was kind of like, forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Because <laughs> his heart doesn't sound like it was in it. But God's will will come in this world and his redemption will reach all things whether our heart is in it or not. The question is, how much do we want to experience the abundance and the blessing of God as we learn to die to ourselves, find life in him, and marry these two things together in the platform of our lives and experience all that he has for us? If you were to tell me, Aaron, as a pastor and evangelist, you could show up in a setting, preach an eight-word sermon, walk out the door, and 120,000 people would be wrecked, I'd be like, sign me up. I will preach that sermon. Jonah is the most efficient, most effective preacher in all of history, but he's so self-absorbed in this moment, he can't see it. What a tragedy. But remember, Jonah isn't just Jonah. Jonah is Israel, and Jonah is us. Israel doesn't want to see Assyria and a great empire turn and bow the knee before the Lord. They want God's justice for all the pain that they've experienced. This kingdom of God that we invite into this place and that we want and that Jesus says is within us and around us is a complex kingdom. It won't just continue to bless us in the ways that fulfill our definitions. It will and it must transform us. And you may not pick the attributes of God that you get and the ones you get to pass over. This is what the prophets speak, isn't it? They keep telling us, they keep imagining a future where if we would come back to God and listen to what he has for us, if you will but be his people, if you will but believe that his paths and his truths are the words of life, 
then you may still have suffering, but it will all serve a different purpose and a different end. There will still be storms that come into your life, but even those will bring about beautiful things in a resurrection. They are all in his hands. And I ask you this morning, how is the great hound of heaven using even the difficult things in your life right now to bring about his purposes? Because remember, his goal is not to make your life easy. It's to make you his. And you must choose which paradigm you believe in. The prophets are very clear which one they're calling us to. Will you pray with me? Father, like Jonah, our obedience is often reluctant. And so are our hearts. Father, we pray, we pray that our hearts would be receptive to your mercy. And in all the ways that you are pursuing us and asking the next, the next tower or silo of our individualism within our lives to fall, that we would let you have it. God, you are good. And we know that all of these things stand within your love for us. A furious love that we don't always comprehend. But we know that you will show mercy to whom you will show mercy. And that you will enact justice. And that we can't pick who gets it and who doesn't. Father, help us to be faithful in telling your story and all that you are. Letting you have control. And having hearts that are excited and not reluctant to follow you so that we would have eyes to see where it is that you're working and what it is that you want to share with us. May we not miss out. Cure us of our greed. Save us from our selfishness. And free us to be yours in your work in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you please rise and receive a parting blessing going on the rest of your day? Children of the great and living God of Jonah, of Israel, of Nineveh, and of all the earth, your God loves you with a furious love. He will come after you in ways you've never even imagined, and the great hound of heaven will chase you down in every corner of your heart. May you be his tool in this world. May you receive his love freely. May you go in his name. May you speak what he asks you to speak. Be who he asks you to be. And go forth as the object of his affection. Amen.